So he would also ask me, like, oh, what are you, you know, seeking for in this internship? I was just too scared to admit what I really want just because like, oh, I'm in this internship for this kind of experience. But then I realized like, no, I really should be truthful. I kind of regret saying that because then he started like telling me all about these things about those things. And I'm just like, man, maybe I'm not interested anymore. Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising BIPOC artists who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Dozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Crystal Chang. She's an Asian-American currently freelancing as a graphic artist. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hi, thanks for having me. I am currently working with Watcher Entertainment. It's a YouTube channel, and if you guys know them... Great. If not, they do Unsolved on BuzzFeed, but this is their YouTube channel and they currently have shows like Up a History, which is what I work on as the graphic artist. Uh, it's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. All right. So the way we like to start off straight ahead is by playing a fun little game called In Between. We are going to give you two similar choices and you have to choose in between the two of them and then let us know why. First question of In Between. Would you rather be a Pokemon trainer or a Digi-Destined? Easy. Pokemon trainer. Friendship. <laughs> Friendship is what makes things happen. I'm pretty sure maybe Digimon works the same way. I don't know. It's Digimon, right? No, they work exactly the same way. Friendship is what helps yeah. them digivolve. Besides the friendship thing. I mean, you, you said that they both work the same way, but both friendship helps the Pokemon grow and whatever. I think it's just because I have more nostalgia with Pokemon. I never watched Digimon uh. <laughs> ever. Even though when it came on uh, WB Kids, I was like, nah, man, I'm going to wait till Yu-Gi-Oh comes on and then I'll be good. <laughs> Oh, but uh, Digimon was so good, though. I mean, I love I love both. But like, see, here's what, always my thought process is that anybody in the world of Pokemon can be a Pokemon trainer, but only a select few can be the Digi-Destined. So but, it's like, like then you're the you got to like save the world or some shit. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. I mean, I, I could probably do it because they, they did on their summer. I have my summer to save the oh, world. Ray, you have a lot of self-confidence. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to argue, like, actually, no, you have to be 11 in order to be a Pokemon trainer. <laughs> but yeah, but, but anybody who's 11 could be a Pokemon trainer. Unless, but in the games, you're, you're always playing against Youngster Todd or Youngster Joey that has his Caterpie. This is true. He's definitely younger than you. <laughs> this is true. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit I never played any of the games. Like, I played it, like, just like, you know, took out my bicycle and rode around everywhere and maybe avoid trying to catch Pokemon or run away when I do, but <laughs> most of the time I just watched it. Okay, next one. Would you rather hunt down Shengong Wu from Shaolin Showdown or the Talismans from Jackie Chan Adventures? Oh my god, okay. It's been so long since I've seen both and <laughs> I don't remember any of the plot. Oh my god, this is so sad. So the Shingong Wu, this is actually a good question. I like this. So the Shingong Wu is like these mystical items that have these properties. And then when they would find them, they would go into a Shaolin showdown. So they're just cool objects that have mystical powers. And then the talisman is like talismans that have like the ability to fly, the ability to shoot fire out of your breath or speed, stuff like that. So each talisman has their own different power. And each Shingong Wu also can grant you abilities as well. But to get the Shengong Wu, you have to, like, complete a challenge and wager your own Shengong Wu. 
Oh. Wow, I don't remember any of that. Did I even care about the plot as a kid? <laughs> I mean, it was just, like, fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Oh, my God. This is a hard question. I don't know. I like it. I like the <laughs> challenge with the Shangongu thing, but then, like, husband just seems easier. <laughs> <laughs> that is the trade-off, isn't it? It is. I think the thing you also got to consider is like the villains, because I feel like Jack Jack Spicer was kind of a pushover. I feel like the Dark Hand is can actually probably kill you if they wanted to, because <laughs> they they are a mafia boss. They just probably didn't do it because they were on TV. But if if Jackie Chan was like rated R, I can I can guarantee you we probably would see some bodies, <laughs> Damn. some bodies hitting the floor. Mm. You think Jackie Chan would do that? Yeah, probably the um, the Shengamu then. <laughs> I think I want to stay alive. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a little chicken, so I'm not. I'm, yeah, I don't know. Good answer. I like that idea where you have to challenge your own in order to gain. Mm -hmm. I think that it was like a really cool concept, and like we had a lot of fun with the premise. Mm. Anyway, I want to put out there that's actually one of my favorite shows. Ooh. Yeah, I know. I love Shallow Showdown. Of course you do, Raymundo. <laughs> There's a character in the show named Raimundo. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> it's okay. I'm so embarrassed. I should have like prepped like 90s like animation stuff. No, it's okay. You can ask me anything about like DuckTales of the now generation or Oh man, Gravity the Falls. current DuckTales is really good. It's so good. And I also love Amphibia. The thing is, I don't have cable. So all of all of that I know is from the 90s. Oh, Okay. Thanks for playing in between with us, Crystal. Hopefully you had fun. <laughs> it was hard. I was just like, oh, shoot. I'm really embarrassed. I don't remember anything from my childhood. No, it's okay. You're fine. Yeah, it was it was a good time. It was still a good time. So today's actually kind of a special kind of episode. We brought in uh, Crystal Chang. She's has majority of background at live action uh, production. And so this is one of the special episodes of Straight Ahead where we want to step outside of the animation bubble a bit and kind of interview other young rising individuals in different parts of the industry. As much as we love animation, another big part that animators have to do and people working in animation, we have to study live action. Like live cinema is very important to us and very essential. So I think bringing in Crystal is going to be really fun for you guys. And hopefully we can also gain some interesting insight in the industry. First off, Crystal, thanks again for being on here. And currently you're working with uh, a YouTube channel called Watch Entertainment as a graphic artist for Puppet History. How has that experience been? And also, how did that opportunity come about considering that your background isn't graphic design? Yeah, it's a little uh, little weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I went to school, as you know, for radio, film, television. And then I moved to L.A. and I got an internship with Wong Fu Productions. You guys might know them, right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. hopefully, mm -hmm. and the audience as well. They had an internship for video production or actually more like post-production, but it also insinuated that I was able to learn what it's like to be on set as a PA. So from there, I then just kind of like just honed my skills on video editing. And then for a while after that, one of my peers, one of my coworkers recommended me to someone they knew and that someone they knew happened to be the people at Watcher. And so I was very fortunate enough to be given a opportunity to work as a graphic artist because that's who they needed at that time. And they also said it was a little bit of a weird job because not only would I be creating the 
the graphics for the show, Puppet History, they said that, oh, you would also have to be the one finding the the um assets. The assets. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. why is the word slipping from my head? <laughs> it's a folder I have to access for Dropbox. But anyways, yeah, so I had to be the one to look for the assets and research like, you know, time appropriate images and even like the photographs too of real people, if possible we can find them or not. So they said it was just like, oh, it's a really weird job, um, but we think it would be fun. And I at first was a little intimidated because I knew very little of this part of post-production and just in like graphic art in general. So I really had to like, okay, I need to study on how to use Photoshop. And and I also had my friend help me learn as well. So from there, then I like I accepted the job, you know, just taking on a challenge, trying to get out of my comfort zone. So I was very mm-hmm. comfortable with, you know, being a PA on set and also with video editing. And I just figured like I need to grow somehow. And this was like an opportunity for me to grow in a different way for post-production, but also kind of in pre-production too, because we have to research um, before we film. Well, actually it kind of happened simultaneously and, you know, while we were making it. But then as I got better at it then I was like oh, okay now I know like to do I'm picking up like the the rhythm of their production and yeah from there it was just it just became from like challenging to just like both challenging and fun because every time it's always like oh I have to figure out like oh what am I going to use for keywords because I have to like use keywords to search for certain images for certain topics of the episode so that was also something like I had to continuously do. Mm-hmm. And it's very different from being, well, actually, no, maybe it's like kind of the same on set. On set, there's always like things that will happen or, or go wrong. And I always have to be on my toes for that. And it made me realize like, yeah, I could definitely do something that is something that I'm not, you know, studied in school whatsoever. I didn't do any Photoshop in school, even though it probably would have been better if we did. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, now, now you have a new skill. Yeah, I do. Yeah, like one thing that you mentioned how like you guys had to study live action for, you know, being an animator. We didn't have to do the, you know, vice versa being in live action, which I really think would have helped other people, not just me. Because I have like a huge interest in animation, just like in general. So I know like storyboards and things like that. and. Just how like symbolism also really matters because I feel like when you do live action, it's easy to just forget about, oh, the background, like, oh, this room is dressed already. We'll just film in it. But like when it comes to animation, you have to put every single detail in there and it has to matter because they're mm-hmm. the, you're the ones creating it. So it's like, oh, what is their room going to look like? And like, oh, we're going to have to draw a bed. And well, what's the bed going to look like versus like live action? I think you kind of just well, on a tight budget, you kind of just have to work with what you have. What you have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the times people miss that kind of thing in just like live action in general. And I think if we had learned that, at least with intent, like, oh, symbolism or just like, don't even just symbolism, just trying to convey who that person is just by looking at their room in general mm-hmm. is very helpful in live action. And even like with storyboarding helps also with cinematography at times. And I think if we also just learned about how to read one, that would be great, too. Or at least just draw really, you know, crappy doodles. That's fine, too. Like, I wish we had learned that in live action, like 
classes for cinematography. I like that too. I like that you mentioned because it's very true. You actually said this to me once when we were in school is that there is no back and forth between animation and and film and then film to animation because when you're an animation major, you can, at least in San Jose State, you can minor in RTVF, but as an RTVF major, you can't minor in animation. And so it's always weird that like, yeah, we animation, we're always studying from live action. We're encouraged to study from live action. And it's interesting you bring it up that there are things that live action can learn from animation if it was given a second look. So I I think that's very interesting. I think that's something that I feel could be explored a lot more. Like, I love looking at concept art and I'm just like, you guys are so good at what you do. But it's also so hard. (laughs) I've sat in one of your classes before. Like, I forgot why I audited a class. And I was just like, that looks so good. But they keep critiquing about the lighting, about where that girl's standing (laughs) in the forest, what's in the forest. I was just like, oh my God, I don't know if I can stand in this class. I was just so stressed out. It's definitely a lot of like critical thinking and attention to detail because like live action, you shoot it. It's already real for us. Like we have to make sure it seems realistic. So like all of that stuff, has to like have a lot of thought put into it for sure. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you have to study lighting and like, I mean, I just have to learn how to put the light up with the C-stand <laughs> and make sure I'm plugging into the right stingray. But like, I mean, there is like, you know, like you have the key lights and everything and lighting the background and all that and making sure you got the right temperature of the light, which is all different kind of sciences, I guess. But like you guys have to simulate real life, which is I think is harder to do. Yeah, you guys also have to like record yourself so you understand how body works and like movement and everything. Like that's just a lot harder. So a lot of prop to you guys. I mean, there's probably something more comic like it's probably some level of complications with ours on our side too with live action. I mean, totally. Like the, yeah, there's I mean, as you're saying, like even the heat of the light can affect what happens and like more technical stuff like working with physical like gels and trying to get the correct things you want out of live action is like its own challenge not to mention filming at certain times as well filming at certain times like you guys are always fighting against like if you guys are filming outside you guys are fighting the daylight like you guys need to make sure things get done at a specific time we you create daylight if it's 3d animation it's just like yeah it's, the sun's out we don't have to worry about the sun going down the sun's gonna be out for as long as we want it to be out <laughs> yeah you're just like oh yes it's 6 a.m again i'm still working <laughs> oh no <laughs> Uh, flashing back. And I've been rowing on the wrong layer this whole time. No! <laughs> oh, what a nightmare. I know that I know that struggle now as a graphic artist. I'm like, shoot! That's true, now you know. Oh my god, I've been working destructively. The worst. Oh, that's always the worst. The No, the worst part is like when you're doing control Z and you're trying to see how far back you can go to salvage it and you realize that like, uh, no, I was only like five control Z's away from like fixing my screw up. And it's like, well, now I do have to start over. But you're just like hopeful, like, please, control Z, control Z, control Z, control Z. Yeah, before your Adobe's like, we're going to crash on you because you've been pressing control Z nonstop. Oh, God, I hate it. So, yeah, you're getting this experience now with... Uh, doing graphics but i'm assuming it's this way because of the state of the world that it's in right now where there's not a lot of live action being produced and if they are there's very very strict procedures do you see yourself going back to producing or being part of production when things kind of go back to normal or do you feel like you found this new path that's a good question Ooh, i i think i still want to go back into live action i've enjoyed my time that i was there but I think I've gotten the most out of it as I wanted to behind the camera. Before the pandemic happened, 
I was actually supposed to go into that path where I wanted to go be like a background actor for a bit. Uh, I did have like this new path or dream, whatever you would like to call it, uh, that I wanted to try acting out. And it was supposed to be the week like after lockdown happened. So we had to cancel or they had to cancel the production. It was really saddening to me. And I was just looking forward to it. Then this opportunity came up and I actually really enjoyed it. So I'm going to continue on this for a little bit longer and see where it takes me. I do want to try resuming pursuing acting once like restrictions, uh, the productions are a lot safer. When the time is right, I think, I yeah, I'll try pursuing acting again because that's I'm a little bit scared. And it's true, though, that production teams are a lot smaller now. I mean, we're, we are all trying to, to fight this thing as best we can. It is such a strange time. For sure, like, Ray and I were feeling very grateful that, like, in terms of entertainment for animation, like, our industry was able to keep going because we just, like, moved to work from home and are able to do it digitally. But for sure, like, live action, like, took a big hit. Really did. I've seen, like, I was still looking for, like, oh, should I work for live action? (laughs) And I was looking at, like, what they're doing in terms of just taking precautions and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And they would house people for like quarantine, yeah, for but like only two like weeks. for like a few days. But they would still oh, provide really? like food in like the hotel that they would like house you in or you know quarantine you in. So I was just like, that's interesting. So to keep moving forward with some of your experiences, you mentioned this actually pretty briefly. One of I feel like your experiences when you got outside of school was interning for Wong Fu Productions. One that must have been a really cool experience, and two I can. It might safe to assume that you're a fan of Wang Fu. So were you like, were you super excited when you found out you got the internship or are you like so, so about Wang Fu? No, no, no. It's safe to say that I'm a, I'm a fan of um, middle school. Crystal would have said she's a huge fan. (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny actually, because the day or the week that I started interning for them, I should also mention that I actually didn't get the internship the first time I applied. I did apply twice. And the first time I think I never asked them, but I think I know why I didn't get it the first time. It was because I wasn't in SoCal. So Mm. because of that, I didn't get it. They really need Mm. you to be there because also they want you to get on set experience. So they would want you to be there. So I think because the second time it lined up better, I was able to get it. And I think just also showing that I applied the second time really shows that I really wanted it. So that's a that's something for youngsters to to try doing when they want to apply for things. I tried not to fangirl when I first went into the office on day one of my internship. It was really, really weird. It was surreal, especially since I've been like such a longtime fan. When I went in for the first week, they were also moving into their new office and they were getting rid of like certain things um, from their old office. And they're looking at these boxes of fan mail. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never sent a fan mail in. And I remember <laughs> I wanted to, but I was such a I was such I'm such a perfectionist that I couldn't think of anything to draw for them or to write to them. So I just never did it because I was just like, this is just it's too much pressure on myself that I want to write the perfect thing or draw the perfect thing. So I never did. But as they were going through it, they were just like, Crystal, is there anything of yours in here? And I was just like, that would have been so cool. <laughs> if there was and I missed out on the opportunity because middle school Crystal was just too was too scared to do it 
God damn it. <laughs> and I said, no, there isn't. And then I think they were like, oh, she's not a real fan then. <laughs> no, they didn't say that. But I, I felt like, oh, I felt that on myself. Like, God damn it. <laughs> no, I'm sure they understand. Could also yeah. be double-edged sword, though. You send in your middle school, like, rantings and ravings, and you're like, wow, this is really embarrassing. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would have been really embarrassing. It's like, oh, my God, I love you guys so much. No. I think you're right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I do, actually, uh, before we continue on with this question, that personally, I, f- I feel like was, like, a big deal. Like, when I was young and, like, my friend and I watched uh, Wong Fu and she was way more into it than I was. But but it was like really cool to see like these Asian dudes making content and content that was very specifically like for Asian people. Yeah. And uh, at the time, I don't think I would have like worded it specifically that way. But it was like really influential and like very important to a lot of people like growing up. Just seeing that and like now YouTube is like a big deal, but it was kind of like, like, you know, yeah, I feel you. I don't know how to explain, but yeah, I think I am the same way. I didn't understand why I enjoyed watching them. Like I, Mm -hmm. you you know, we, we probably didn't even think of like, oh, because they're Asians making content and we don't see that and we need that representation. Yeah, we don't get to see that like anywhere else, basically. Yeah. I think and they're not doing kung fu all the time. <laughs> no, they're not. Yeah, they're just being them. Like one mm-hmm. other video that really stuck out to me was just them doing like lip sync videos. And I think mm-hmm. that's just them being stupid and just having fun. It was just a lot of fun just to see somebody that's just like basically doing what, what I would do, but mm-hmm. not in front of a camera for the billion people to watch. But like you're you're saying, it's just like them having fun and being normal people yeah. that just exist. And I think that's really important. Anyway, we could get back to the question. So how was your experience interning for Wong Fu Productions? <laughs> Sorry, it, once we start Wong Fu, I'm just going to be like, oh, no. I need, if we start talking about my work or anything, I'm just going to be like, I have to be careful what I say because this is going to be forever. <laughs> and I write a fan mail, but this is me just already making a verbal fan mail right now. But yeah, so it was really fun working with them. I was very intimidated because... I thought I knew everything that I had to know from, you know, my undergrad in San Jose State. But clearly I had a lot to learn when I started working there. I picked up the editing pretty well, I think. They even said like, oh, yeah, you have a really good sense of timing when it came to editing, uh, which is hard at times for other people to try pick up. So that was really, really cool to hear. (laughs) It's good to get good feedback. Um, It's also good to get constructive criticism. too. I had a lot of that. Uh, or actually, I asked for a lot of that when I was working with mm. them. Honestly, that's good. I think I think a lot of uh, people who intern or maybe working at their first job, I can see how some people might be timid or afraid to ask for constructive feedback. But that's how you learn. So I'm glad that you you had that courage to ask that. And your goal is to improve and to get better and to ensure that you're delivering top quality stuff. I think it was also just easier because of who was mentoring me, which was Benson and his vibe as a mentor. <laughs> He just really wants his uh, mentees to just really actually get a lot out of the experience. So he would also ask me, like, oh, what are you you know, seeking for in this internship? You know, besides what we can provide for you. And I remember when he asked me one day, we were walking into like their lunch break set. And he asked me like, oh, so like, what are your goals or what do you want to do in like film production? And I said, I was too scared uh, to say anything else. I kind of just said like, oh, yeah, I want to learn more about video editing and you know, learning how to use a camera too. I'm really interested in cinematography when that's 
kind of not true. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't like not true. It was just, I was just too scared to admit what I really want just because like, oh, I'm in this internship for this kind of experience. But mm-hmm. then I realized like, no, I really should be truthful. I kind of regret saying that because then he started like referencing or like telling me all about these things about those things. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, man, maybe I'm not interested anymore as he kept telling me about it. And I was just like, oh my God, I feel like his effort as like a mentor is wasted right now. So I think like it's good to be honest to yourself and honest to people who want to help you because that's when I realized like, oh, you know what? No, I really wanted to be in front of the camera and acting. And I really wish I'd told him that day one. Did you already kind of know that you wanted to do that? Yeah, like Mm -hmm. I think it was just more like I always had that inkling of wanting to do it. Like I tried to get into a high school that had a really good theater program and I didn't get into it. I was in choir in middle school and I loved singing and I even had like a few solos here and there. But I think I was just too embarrassed thinking like going down that path and it was not Mm -hmm. practical. So Mm -hmm. I also just didn't want my parents to worry. So I tried to find something more stable, which would be more behind the scene work so yeah i think like working with them they're just super helpful and not just like helping you learn how to do like whatever they want to teach you whether it's post-production or their other internship which they're also just really trying to help you figure out your path too and i think they did that for me i don't think i really want to do much of post-production as much anymore (laughs) or (laughs) you know working with the camera like oh yeah i don't want to touch the camera at all (laughs) Yeah, they're really super cool people. As soon as I got over like, oh, they're my heroes kind of thing. uh, Just realizing (laughs) that, you know, they're everyday people just also just trying to make stuff. And uh, they also eat like normal people and drive like normal people. (laughs) As soon as like I got over that, I think it was just a lot easier to like ask them for help. I think that's a really easy thing to fall into is like, oh, I got this internship for a specific reason and maybe it's like adjacent to what I actually want to do I can still do this job for the internship but being transparent about like what your end goal is is like it's totally chill like people probably won't judge you for it unless you're in a completely different field but like when I I was an intern for Cartoon Network for a TV show and I I straight up told them I was like I don't really know if I want to do TV production but I'm kind of here to learn about different parts and see if I fit in anywhere and at the end of it I was like no I don't really want to (laughs) I don't really want to do like boards or VizDev or any of this I just want to do animation so I like seeked opportunities elsewhere but everybody like that I met there is still super cool like we keep in contact like they're totally down for it and like people just want to help and as long as you're transparent with that like I think that will like lead you to better opportunities and and better heights that's really well worded Yuki oh my gosh (laughs) like that's exactly (laughs) what it is no yeah like people really just want to help and Mm -hmm. So something for me, the thing I actually find really interesting is uh, YouTube in itself is such a unique space. And uh, I guess the thing I'm really wondering with you having background in uh, doing, you know, PA stuff and behind the scenes of live action, uh, what similarities differences do you see between producing something for YouTube versus producing something for cinema behind the scenes wise? I think when it comes to YouTube and making the content for that, you have you have to think about the audience more or at least what is the message you're sending out? Because it's a lot more intimate when it's like a YouTube content versus when it's something that's like, you know, Hollywood level, which can be even more marketable in a different way. Basically, 
when it's YouTube, it feels like you can connect with your audience a lot more. But when it comes to like making like films, like short films, I think it's a lot easier probably to make something super low budget and it can like take off easier on YouTube versus something in like the Hollywood level or not even Hollywood level could just be like a smaller production studio that's not a YouTube channel. I guess what I was asking more is like, like, how is it interacting with like, again, from your experiences, interacting with like YouTube personalities or you interacting with the actors for like traditional cinema oh. or like, uh, you know, setting up a space, uh, you know, getting something ready to shoot. Like, how is those two different worlds like making like filming for YouTube versus filming for someone like what's the difference in that sense like working on a schedule working with the team and kind of making sure everything's in place for the shot or the video to be produced and done I think then at that point it's pretty much the same it's just like a smaller scale of of like doing things but mm -hmm. essentially it's pretty much the same you make a schedule and you have you know the ADs the second AD the first ADs directors and PAs. ADs are assistant directors, correct? Just in yeah. case people don't know the term. The, the term. Oh, yes. And then there's PAs who is like people like me <laughs> who are at the lowest tier, but they're the most important <laughs> in a production, as they like to say, because no, they, they do are. everything. I, I, I want to put that out there. Even in even in animation, respect your PAs. They work so hard. 100%. Always respect production. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, I wonder what a production it's like an animation like do they <laughs> you can just like well you can you can talk about it she she, she worked as a pa intern I, I mean i did there's a lot of different jobs i mean we could we could talk about this for a very long time but because a lot of animation is not done in-house uh, particularly like in la many of the pa's jobs is just making sure everything is like aligned and ready to ship out to like korea mostly with uh, cartoon network and you have to make sure that all of the notes are translatable. Like if you run it through Google Translate, there is no question what is supposed to like happen. Stuff like that. I mean, that's a lot of like conforming is a lot of production um, and then just like scheduling and making sure everything is running correctly. Sounds like a lot of office work. <laughs> it is. It's, oh it's very like office oriented because we're we're just handling a bunch of files basically after the artists hand them off. But Anyway, I mean, it's it's very different for live action to, oh, to yeah. animation in terms of like the production needs. Definitely. Like as a PA on live set, ooh, you have to be on your toes all the time and you can't mm -hmm. look like you're the most worn out person there. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't even sit. Although I have sat a few times because it's just so hard. It's, the work is so hard. It's such a grind. There are times where I'm just like, oh, man, I need to get new shoes that are more comfortable or something like that. Get the like nurse shoes. <laughs> <laughs> like your body is tired after just a 12 hour day. Sometimes it's not even 12 hours. Sometimes it could go for like, I don't know, 14 hours. It's a lot of physical labor, um, but also you have to be mentally aware. Like you have to be like, oh, the talent is looks like they might need water. So you also have to like get things that people might not know they need at the moment. Hmm. but they will need later on you know so you have to do a lot of like assisting the situation and making sure you're like prepared for it i always have to make sure like oh you need to go to the bathroom you should go to the bathroom <laughs> things like mm -hmm. that yeah you're just kind of like everybody's like guardian angel almost that's really cute <laughs> good way to think about it i didn't even think about it until now like oh yeah i guess i am <laughs>
No, I, I don't disagree. I think that's very much true. A PA is definitely the guardian angel of the production. Yeah. But let's get back to your first question. <laughs> yeah. When, when like we're like shooting for things and, you know, getting sets ready and getting the talent ready, it's pretty much the same thing because as a small production, like if like say Wong Fu, right, we want to make sure we still have like that level of um, professionality and it is just better in terms of just like practicing and making sure we have like the industry like standard down because it also is just good to be able to work in that same way when other people come on from like other from other places you don't know like where their job experience is but at least you guys might have an understanding like oh yeah that's a you know that's a side or you know oh yeah that's a c-stand or something so just making sure like that we get that kind of level of understanding. I know for a fact that when I was on set for like student films back in RTBF, you know, and they and it was run by my professors, though. So this is like an actual like class where we make stuff um, and we made like a commercial. And during that time on set was very different from when I was on set in Wang Fu. I felt like I had to be retaught like set etiquette when I was in Wong Fu Productions. That was embarrassing, how, how to be so, honest. What was what was the etiquette that you had when you were, I guess, under your professor versus Wong Fu? Like what was like the no-nos or what was like, oh, that's not how we do it? Yeah, it's with my professor. It was a lot more relaxed, I think, just because everybody had zero expectations of students, which is super mm-hmm. bad. Although I still was actually, he appointed me as like the head of a department during that time. He saw me as the most responsible out of like other people that probably could do this job. But he's also like, oh yeah, you're very detail oriented, which I do think I am. I'm very detail oriented. So mm-hmm. putting me as a art department director, it was like a little bit stressful, but we didn't have a lot of the formalities between departments. So at the time, one of my classmates, he was a second AD and he didn't even do a second AD job. He actually did a lot of like the first AD job. Mm. So I didn't really know what a first AD was or a second AD was. And then when I went on to like set for Wang Fu, I asked like the first AD questions I shouldn't be asking a first AD. And I kept asking like the second AD questions I shouldn't be asking a second AD. And I was just like, oh my God, I feel so dumb right now because you can't waste people's time on set with dumb questions is what I've learned. They didn't say that I was dumb. They were just saying, oh, that's not something you should be asking me that's not my department that's yeah. not my yeah uh, things like that they're just like oh that you they'd be like oh that's a ad question or like oh that's a director question or you're also not supposed to direct you know you're not supposed to give like pointers and stuff mm-hmm. so i think that's like something that i learned is just like these people are your friends but they're not your friends right now <laughs> <laughs> they're your coworkers right now and yeah i think like i was just like oh man i i have a lot to learn it's good to have real life experiences outside of like classroom definitely very important no it is because yeah. it's because it's definitely the level of i guess professionalism or the level of responsibility differs versus a class-based assignment or a class-based project versus something industry and i think with uh correct me if i'm wrong as well but with live action because you guys work like you mentioned before 12 hour days 14 hour days everybody's time is super super sensitive and important so yeah i guess in that field you need to be the most considerate of like people's time and managing that because no one wants to be on set longer than they have to and i think Mm -hmm. even like depending if you guys are renting out a space or whatever time is money in that sense as well so that's interesting to me that's that's something that i feel like it's 
something to consider that's that's different from like again animation as well yeah so what has been one of your more fun or challenging projects that you worked on whether it was like filming a video a specific video with Wang Fu or from a previous experience like when you entered at CineQuest oh hmm CineQuest that's such a long time ago that's when I was still a student and I interned for them I think like my most fun experience would be a Wang Fu experience, though. I think the most fun production I've had was probably their holiday short that was of last year's. And um, it's called Handle with Care. I had a lot of fun with that one just because it was not just like the beginning of my internship, but I started understanding what to do as a PA that I felt like I knew what that I could offer besides what they expected of me. So I tried to, you know, do more things that were above and beyond, not just for them, but also for like, even like for the talent. And it was just also a really fun shoot in general. Honestly, it was one of the more relaxing ones. <laughs> there was like this one day where I was actually in like what I guess would be the green room for most of the time. And I don't know why it happened to be that way. But then I really just got to see like, oh, what um, other people do to prepare for other parts of the production. So I got to kind of just shadow other people. I felt like I was able to converse with like my peers more, which is something you don't really get to do on set much as a PA because you always have to be aware of everything around you. So you shouldn't be conversing. It's very unprofessional. You shouldn't be, you know, talking to the talent because you're going to make them, you know, not focus on what they should be doing. So it was just a really fun set to just kind of like step back and see like, oh, what we've done. And maybe it was a lot easier just because of the script itself. I don't know. It was, it was a really fun set. I also liked the story for that one, too. If you haven't watched it, you should watch it. And speaking of CineQuest, I do want to mention that that was a really fun internship, though. It was another video production <laughs> internship because they needed video editors at the time. And that's all they offered. So a lot of video editing experiences, even though I don't really want to do that anymore. <laughs> It's ironic or it's not. Maybe there's that point of my my trajectory has ended. Now it's like a new trajectory somewhere else. So, yeah, that's always something that will happen. I think whenever people are trying to find out their careers. It's actually funny that you that you mentioned that because one of the things you mentioned uh, to us off cast is that you actually have this fun little editing exercise that you do so you're saying how like editing was like you know <laughs> something that you don't like you did a lot of but it's something you want to move away from but you have this exercise that you do to keep up that skill i do <laughs> can you just briefly talk about that one yes of course i do because well you know i learned all of this all these like skills and stuff i don't want to forget like that's very important like to me is like you know i take the time or at least like take the years to learn something so I try to make sure I like still have like the muscle memory of, you know, like, shortcuts and still learning like what's new to the programs every time they update it. You know, I currently play a lot of Animal Crossing in my free time. I have like I capture the footage or at least uh, my friend, my boyfriend helps me capture the footage and then I edit footage. <laughs> That's my practice is just editing it. And then I put out like a video or two on my YouTube channel. That's what I do in my spare time. <laughs> it's really cute. Yeah, I even like provide voiceover work and that helps me get into the voiceover like stuff or at least almost like acting in a way. How do you think that helps you specifically? It helps me just like remember like, oh, like how pacing works and like also just knowing what to cut out. It's like something that is also a skill that people have to learn when they're, you know, editing things. What to keep, what's necessary, what will help flow, what makes something drag so 
I just don't want to like lose those skills. It also helps me like exercise my like my creative thought and muscles and and just like how is this going to be you know fun or how can I like make this interesting content? I had to you know produce it myself technically and record it myself and then edit it myself. So I'm just doing all of that from like beginning to end. I actually have to write out a script too before I you know do like the voiceover work. Or even while um, we're doing like the capturing the footage, like when we capture the footage before that, I also have to plan out where we're going to go in my island. (laughs) So it's a lot of it is still like me exercising like film industry skills, which is good. Like a lot of like planning has to be done. Um, A lot of blocking has to be done. It definitely helps in that aspect. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I just, I just found that really interesting that you, to keep up those, your video editing skills, you do stuff with Animal Crossing. So I just thought that was really interesting. I thought like hearing your thought process on like why you do it and like what it helps you with, I think it'd be very helpful for students that want to get into video editing, like what things they can do to just practice that skill and mm. to, yeah, keep that skill alive or to get better. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I thought that that could be helpful. So you mentioned it a lot throughout the podcast, but it really seems like you are transitioning. I know it's a bit of a halt now with the state of the world, but like you said, you've gotten everything you want behind the camera. You eventually want to transition in front. With also everything else that's going on in relation to representation, do you think uh, there are more opportunities for you now or in the future to be on screen that there, than there was previously? I know one of the reasons you also mentioned earlier, uh, and you can comment as well, is like one of the reasons why you liked Wang Fu and stuff is because you saw that as a form of representation that you felt like you didn't have or that you didn't realize you needed. And so do you feel like there's opportunities for you for you to fill in, in this space? Yes, I do think that. Funny, the, like, the way that you worded this question just made me think like, yeah, like the acting opportunity I was going to take before, you know, the pandemic happened was on a short film called Short Quiet Asian Girl. Although it's funny because my coworkers say I'm not like that. <laughs> my Wangfu coworker said like, you aren't, you aren't a short, quiet Asian girl. And I was like, thanks. But they told me it's a good thing because otherwise mm-hmm. I wouldn't be like doing things like this. I wouldn't be being social. Yeah, they, so they said like, oh, it's good that you're able to be social. So you're not really a, a S-Q-A-G. That's what the short was, was going to be called. Because I told them like, hey, I think I'd be great as a background actor because I do look young. I look like a high schooler. I'm short. <laughs> it makes me look like a high schooler. And I am a Asian girl, which is your criteria. So, <laughs> yeah, I think like it's important to see that representation. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the times I don't see that kind of representation. I wanted to be that representation. I wanted to be the short, quiet Asian girl that people can relate to. I'm not the main character, though. The main character is a short, quiet Asian girl. But I thought that was really cool. I don't know. I just like that script in general. Like, oh, that's a great concept. But I do think there is a lot more opportunity out there for Asians in general, especially when Crazy Rich Asians came out. Like, that really just, like, showed Hollywood, like, yes, Asians are marketable. I don't know if you know this. Um, I kind of want to bring it up. But before Crazy Rich Asians was out, back in, like, 2002, you know the movie Better Luck Tomorrow? No. no. Okay, that's a movie back in 2002. It had like John Cho and a bunch of other Asians in there. Mm-hmm. And it was the last film to have an all Asian cast, which is a big deal, right? 2002 mm-hmm. and 2017. But that's a huge gap, right? Yeah. So that film, Better Luck Tomorrow, they thought, oh, Asians weren't marketable enough. So they were afraid that nobody would watch it if they saw there were Asians on the poster. So what they did was they made the poster like two-toned like so they made it like black and blue 
I think. So like their skin color wouldn't show. Oh, and wow. it was just like black outlines of the the actors themselves. And that was the poster. So that was like a little bit like learning about that's like, oh, that's a little sad. Like that's what they had to do to make it marketable. So in 2018, when Crazy Rich Asians came out and they were marketing the movie, the post the movie poster was full of like colors and everything. And it was just so moving to my boyfriend who told me about all of this, about the graphic part of it, of better luck tomorrow. And that when he saw the CRA poster, he was super like emotional. Mm. He was just like, I get to see somebody with my skin tone on a movie poster that's super vibrant. Like that's just a really yeah. The movie amazing. poster is beautiful. Like mm-hmm. I, when I was looking it up right now, it's it's so bright and colorful and vibrant. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy Crazy Rich Asians. But yeah, actually, they like hard marketed that too. I like went to the the six oh sixty six. Yeah, the 626. But they were like, that was my first time going, but they were like crazy pushing that movie. Like they had a whole booth set up and everything. I was like, oh, interesting. I thought it was like not as mainstream because they were pushing it so hard. I was like, oh, neat. But like, damn, that's crazy. I think about like the last time they had an all Asian cast was in 2002. That's why it was a huge <laughs> deal. Yeah. Because Joy Luck Club was like 1990 something before the Bed Luck Tomorrow a huge deal like don't mess this up and a yeah. lot of people say they did but i think they did a great job i don't i don't see like a lot wrong with the movie personally kind of like a, a an aside that was sort of like a concern that uh we had talked about when coco was coming out like i had a conversation with ray about this because like book of life is another movie about Dave of the dead that came out before that and mm-hmm. then coco came out which is also like about Dave of the dead and it was sort of like it was sort of like a weird situation of like, oh, these two movies came out pretty close to each other. But like, hopefully the success is good, because if it's not, then that kind of like to producers or whatever, that means like the content is not marketable. Like this, this ethnicity is not marketable or mm-hmm. whatever. And it's like, ah, oh, why does it have to hinge on that? I know. <laughs> it's really frustrating. And I actually remember it was a book of life. Yeah. Book right. Of life. Yeah. yeah. But I don't remember the movie. <laughs> I rewatched Coco more than Book of Life, even though I saw Book of Life first. Mm. Yeah, I like it. They're both great. I definitely think Pixar did a better job marketing mm. their their film. I think because, yeah, I remember because I actually I love Book of Life. I, I, I love anything Jorge Gutierrez says, but I think what often comes is uh, people tend to forget about it, in my opinion, just because I feel like it wasn't marketed as well when it was coming out i felt like what studio made it uh real effects so like pixar is much easier to like be like oh it's a pixar movie like they kind of have the reputation to back it up in the first place Mm. yeah and it's more probably accessible because i don't know where you can watch book of life besides maybe youtube yeah i don't think it's on any streaming services which i think kind of sucks i would love to see it like on netflix or like hulu or something it's great design love that yeah, no, the designs are great. Like, again, the one that, okay, just to like quickly gush about Book of Life, because this is one of the things, the one of the big things I like is because I think sometimes 3D animation can get really, really boring because oftentimes I feel like they all kind of look the same when they're trying to go for like either hyper-realistic or they all just kind of look very similar in my opinion. But I like when mm-hmm. people push the 3D medium because again, it's 3D, you can do anything. And I like that the characters were wood blocks. I like that the world had texture and had life. Like that's one of the reasons why I like Trolls World Tour or the, mm-hmm. the Spider-Verse, how they really integrate that 2d 3d look into that film i just like when 3d as a medium is pushed beyond just being 3d yeah i agree i mean there are some directors that really like push that idea of like getting into more of a caricature through like mm-hmm. uh i think tim burton does that a lot actually as a director and um 
Del Totoro. What's his name? Yeah, <laughs> Del Totoro. Yeah, there you go. But Del Totoro. Del Totoro. <laughs> I don't remember his name. I totally forgot. I'm just like, shoot. Edgar Wright also has uh, really good stuff. Like, he has a really good style as an animation oh. or as a uh, live action director. Yeah, in my uh, opinion, Baby Driver, right? Yeah, Baby Driver. Baby Driver. Uh, he did like Ant-Man. Scott Pilgrim. He did like mm. uh, uh, The World's End. He has like a lot of Simon Pegg movies, but he has like a really cool director style. No, but like going back to uh, Del Toro's, like again, like like his latest one. Uh, what's it called? The fish one. Oh, Shape of Water. Uh, yeah, sh- Shape oh, yeah. of Water. There's so much green. There's so much green in that film. Like the way that film is like stylized and filmed, it's like mm-hmm. it has its visual language that mm. sets it apart from other films. When it comes to like being stylistic and having mise-en-scene, like it's like not a thing as much, but there are like actors that are, that are trying to bring that back. Like we've seen the one that did Seven. Ooh. Uh, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. Yeah, the director who did Seven, he did a lot of that, like a lot of mise-en-scene. And like Shape of Water, what you're talking about is probably Nissan Sen. Wait, can you explain what Nissan Sen is? Is that like a color oh. term? Sorry, I've like oh yeah, right. it's like French. <laughs> it's French for like like the what did the heck? I don't even remember. Something about it's something something scene. It's like the direct translation is placing on stage. Yeah, it's like yeah, the direction, design, arrangement of actors in a scene, like stage design in relation to like the actors. So like. The visuals and how like even like with the actors in it in like the scene conveys like like a style is what you're trying to say right like the composition is yeah is part of the style and yeah 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 so like it has to do with like composition yeah that's the word i was like it's been a while since <laughs> i've done i've thought like this critically but yeah so uh you're definitely talking about that kind of thing when it like symbolism right like oh the mm-hmm. director wanted this color or they mm-hmm. wanted this type of um, person to wear this kind of style of clothes or mm-hmm. this color of clothing, right? A lot of directors, they do try to achieve that. It's not a lot of them. Yeah, it looks like for you, your what your future holds or what you want it to hold is that you want to transition from behind the scenes to in front of the camera. And hopefully, yeah, you can aid and help in that representation. It looks like wherever you end up going, because it looks like you have a great relationship with Wang Fu. So I don't know if that's going to relationships going to continue or but it looks like you have opportunities for you to kind of go in that direction. And I guess to kind of wrap things up is uh, what advice do you have for any students that want to pursue a role in live action production? I thought about this question also a lot yesterday. I was like, what am I going to say at the end? I do want to say that, you know, when I was in high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like, just going to be pretty frank here. But yeah, I was kind of like, just like, oh, I don't know. I guess I like watching behind the scenes and commentary of, you know, movies a lot. And I'm not very good at, you know, math and science and things like that. So I just kind of just generally always pan to like filmmaking and arts in general. So when I did that, I kind of had that mindset kind of just limited myself. So don't try to do that, I think, because then I kept thinking, oh, I need to do something in live action. So that like mindset just kept having me think like, oh, I need to do something that, you know, oh, I got an internship for this, uh, like Cinequest. I did video editing. I should continue doing video editing because that's what experience I have when I should be more open to, you know, trying out different opportunities and figuring out like what other roles there are in filmmaking. So when I was, you know, a PA in live action, I realized like, oh, there's somebody that, you know, supervise a script. That's interesting. I didn't know that was a job or like, oh, there's somebody that literally just plans the schedule 
for the day and the shoot. So there's also that. And I just like thought like, oh, I just, I just thought there was, you know, just director and cameraman and all these things. But there's way more than that. I mean, I knew I know like when I was taking film class, there was way more roles, but there's even more roles outside of like, you know, being an art designer and being a stagehand, like things like having like the real life experience really taught me like, oh, there's way more than I thought there would be in terms of like where I could, you know, fit myself, but trying to find the role that works with you, that you think that you would excel in. So I definitely excelled as being a PA, but, you know, don't limit yourself to just that. Like a PA is a place where you can grow. That's where you're going to start off first, you know, if you do live action set stuff, but it's a place where you can see all the different types of jobs and figure out like, oh, am I interested in that? Then maybe I want to try finding more opportunities with like, you know, directing or being a costume designer, you know, or being a makeup stylist, even, you know, like hair and makeup is a job in the industry. And if you like doing that, there's also special effects makeups, too. So that's even like that's even more niche, you know, but that's still like a job there that that, you know, is in filmmaking. So I think like just knowing that and just going, you know, just taking like the PA job that you can find. So make sure it's not a sketchy PA job. I ran into <laughs> many of those. I have, and it's, you know, it's <laughs> just make sure it's not sketchy. Also finding like a good mentor. So having also just like a community or a group of people that you can like go to for, you know, questions. And, you know, if you have a mentor is also just a really good starting place as well. Um, Benson's still, I think he's still my mentor. And Shane um, is still my mentor. He's my, my current mentor. For puppet history so it's just always it's always good to have good mentors and just good peers like you guys i'm learning so much from you already in this podcast you know from like your <laughs> point of views of animation and i enjoy that a lot so just like make friends also with people in different areas and you might find out oh there's a job there for you right so my roommate she works for an animation studio and she told me like you know crystal i think you're skills would translate well to working as like a production coordinator for our animation studio that I work for if you ever want to. And I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. You know, I never really thought of going into animation because I never ate, you know, A, I never majored in it. And B, I also don't think that I have like the skills. <laughs> like I thought I would have to just keep, you know, I know how to at least know how to like draw or at least have like a portfolio, you know? Now it's like, know. I know. Not, not, not when it comes to the production side. Like, not for yeah. production. See, I wouldn't have known. It is good to have an idea of what happens in the pipeline. Like, understanding like what the artists do and like the level of difficulty and having respect for that. Like, artists should always have respect for their the production, but also the other way around, right? Like, uh, you got to respect that the artists uh, might have difficulty doing certain things, uh, like certain shots will be more difficult than others and like sort of having empathy for that is really good to have in producers in my opinion so that like not only are you like taking some of the pressure off but like you can coordinate the schedule better and stuff like that and i think because you're like critically thinking 
and like uh, you can pick up stuff pretty well. I think you would do well in production in animation if you ever wanted to do that. Oh, that's good to hear. One of the recent hire, not recent, but uh, one of the newer production people that's been working on the production I'm on, she has that background in film. Majority of her background has been in live action. And she, one of the directors that she worked with works both in live action and I think it was like Chris Sanders. And like, yeah, he, he like recommended her to try animation. Like, oh, I think you'll love it. I think you'll... I think you can do well in it. And she decided to transition and she's been enjoying being on our production so far. So that's been cool. But yeah, I feel like at least in my experience from what I know is that I think maybe just who I experienced, but very rarely do the production people that I know have an animation degree or have an animation background. The majority mm-hmm. of them come from all over. It's just they. The, I think that's the unifying thing they have is the love for animation. Mm, that's really encouraging. Then, like maybe one day then I will be dipping my toes into animation. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Yeah, totally. Your future is very bright. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our listeners find you? And is there anything else you want to plug? Yeah, thanks for having me. And you can find me on social media, primarily Instagram. You find me at the Crystal Chang and future projects. Well, currently I am working on something that is NDA and I can't tell you for who or what, but be on the lookout because I will post on my Instagram whenever it comes out. (laughs) (laughs) The other projects I've been working on are personal projects, and it's the Animal Crossing one. You could find that on my Instagram for that one, which is at Foodie Wonderland, but Wander with an A, not not an O. Oh, is that on YouTube or Instagram? Oh, it's on both. I have a YouTube for it as well. There's also there's an Instagram to like update people. If you enjoyed our interview with Crystal today, Please rate us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP and let us know your response to today's in-between questions. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please get in contact with us. We love discovering new artists and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening, and thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. Bye.